All right. And this is The Yay. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is The Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay. Now, we were supposed to have Linda Ayers Frederick on. Um, she is the, uh, the owner of the Phoenix Theater, a fantastic actress and playwright. However, she had an unfortunate event happen, so it's just going to be you and me, which we've done before. We can do that. Absolutely. So, as always, I always begin by saying, how's it going? What's, what's up? It's summer. Yeah. Actually, summer's almost over, and it's sort of a shame because the wife and I are trying to take advantage of those last little moments. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's right. Your, your son is still out of school, so he'll be back in school. He's soon. out of school. She's out of school. Mm-hmm. I've got nothing teaching-wise. Actually, I've got each one reach one coming up in a couple of weeks. Okay. So, we'll be doing a late night <laughs> oh, in sure. a couple of weeks. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but, uh... Yeah, right now it's just quiet. It's just taking care of the house. I did go see, in terms of theater, I went and saw Tender Napalm. Awesome. Wow. Robert Estes piece. Holy. The, yeah, he directed it. Yeah. Um, Philip Ridley, I think is the name of the playwright. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. It's two people on stage, and I mean, not giving anything away now. Mm-hmm. Production's done. Yeah. Um, but I got to go to closing night, and it was exciting to watch. It's basically, I mean, they start off in straight jackets. So I'm going to say it's two crazy people. Right. Um, who are really trying to find some way to kill time, which makes me think of other plays. I know uh, there's a, I think it's Cuban play called Night of the Assassins. Mm-hmm. Uh, similarly, three, three adults in that play, three adults who um, are siblings or they identify as siblings mm-hmm. and they act very childlike. <coughs> But they go through a series of fantasies, and you can tell by the way they do it that this is stuff they've been Mm -hmm. doing over and over again. So for you, the audience, it's much more about those cues between these little vignettes. Um, What is it that's kicking us into the next vignette? And that's very much what Tinder Napalm does. Um, Each of them says something to try and get the other one's interest. They can pique that interest and then maybe drag it out, you know, get it going for a little while until yeah. something gets said mm-hmm. where one of them reacts to it and they kind of go off the rails and they constantly go off the rails. It's an incredibly physical wow. show. It sounds like, are we talking about two people who are isolated and they cr- sort of create their own universe because of the isolation? They, they very much do and there are few references to them being locked up. Okay. And so uh, the space says the uh, Timiskal Arts Center and it's got bars on the windows mm. in the playing area so they actually made that part of the yeah. The play, yeah. you know, I lo- and I love a show that does that. Take advantage of the space you're in, mm-hmm. um, make that physical space that we are in right. part of what the story is, and they did that wonderfully. Um, but yeah, as they roll out these stories and ex- these experiences and pull each other into these fantasies, mm-hmm. um, it goes all over the place, and it it it's an intense, intense piece. <laughs> Fantastic. And I know that, yeah, Robert was very <clears> – he <throat> wanted to make sure that it was a success, and it sounds like that. I, I don't know how big of an audience he had or whatever. I, I hope the rest of the nights were are like ours. Uh, this closing weekend, mm-hmm. you know, is always packed, and it was packed mm-hmm. um, for the final night. Yeah. Um, I hope the rest of the run they got some attention. Awesome. They deserved it. Yeah. Um, and I wish I knew – I hadn't seen either of these two actors before. They were they were powerful, and it's a – I cannot – I cannot tell you how much it is a physical show. Like, mm-hmm. it is a circus act. He, they are yeah. jumping on each other throughout the show. Uh-huh. So when she jumps into his arms, uh-huh. you kind of figure he's a guy and he yeah. looks like he works out a little bit. Okay, yeah. that's great. 
But he's on her a few times as well. She carries him a few times as well. Hmm. And she, you know, she was she was she was in many ways sort of a typical blonde woman, mm-hmm. but in those moments, you could see this woman had some thighs on her. She had some legs. She had some arm muscle. Yeah. You know, she didn't quite have guns. Maybe, uh-huh. maybe if she wanted to, she'd have guns. Yeah, but she could maybe the costume. Him. But she had no problem carrying him. Uh-huh. They tossed each other all over the place. It yeah. was, it was amazing. I can just imagine the rehearsal process, just them getting comfortable with each other, because physicality. I mean, I've been in rehearsals where the director wanted to be so careful with physicality mm-hmm. that physicality doesn't really carry out on stage because there's too much of an of a air to caution. Yeah. Well, to his credit, he got a choreographer in and she was in from the beginning of the process. Excellent. And and it was it was needed because mm-hmm. it is just the two. So every now and then it goes into something that you would call monologue. Right. As one person just sort of <coughs> extends a story. But even during many of those moments, the interactions between them were intense. And you could see how somebody was being lulled into or enticed into something. And then you could see them kind of react like, this is too much. Or, wait a minute, what did you say? Mm -hmm. And that was physical. There was all kinds of physical cues that were just wonderful. Wow. Wow, that's fantastic. And also I hear that Winter, uh, that's the piece being run at Central Works Mm -hmm. uh, that is being directed by Gary Graves. That's being extended. Yay! So apparently they, they're doing really, really well. Mm-hmm. So I want to get a chance to see that. Well, one other show I'll mention, um, and it's coming up, so I'll mention it again at mm-hmm. the end. Vallejo Shakes um, does shows all over the East Bay, mm-hmm. uh, including Oakland. I got the space at the Peralta Hacienda in Oakland, which is the first homestead in the East Bay mm-hmm. in this area um, from the Peralta family. Uh, there's a park there now in the house, mm-hmm. and I connected to them, so um, I was able to get Vallejo Shakes to bring their show in there. Uh-huh. That'll be this weekend, so they'll be in this Saturday and Sunday, 2 o'clock, in, um, in the Fruitvale District. Uh, they're doing Titus Andronicus. Ah, one of my favorites. If you've never seen Titus Andronicus, this is your chance. This is pretty bloody. Hopefully they get, they'll need a mop at the Peralta I, I would assume they, it has got to be his bloodiest play. It is, it's just gruesome. You remember you got me a job at the Peralta House. I did. Oh, for uh, one of the voiceovers? Yeah, one of the voiceovers. Ah. I remember that. Beautiful house. Yeah, no, the house is gorgeous. The park is nice. Mm-hmm. And it's surprising because it is, it's just sort of hidden in the Fruitvale neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah, rich, rich, rich history. But, yeah, I'll be going uh, Saturday. Mm-hmm. I'll go to see the show. Sunday I'm spending the whole day at the uh, San Jose Jazz Festival. But oh, awesome. Saturday mm-hmm. I'm going to go see the show at 2 o'clock. So if folks want to join, please. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I can. I'm trying to think if I'm doing anything Sunday. Maybe, maybe I'll do that. Well, Sunday's down in uh, San Jose. Oh, so, it, so it's really just Saturday. I'm going Saturday. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, it'll be Sunday. So if you can't go Saturday, go Sunday. Okay. Cool. And Got it. see Titus. But <clears throat> awesome. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's um. Dahlia um. The door mm-hmm. is the executive director, founder of the company, mm-hmm. and um. She's been putting it. To, I think this has got to be maybe their fifth year, mm-hmm. fifth or sixth. Yeah. And it's really grown. They started off with like Romeo and Juliet up mm-hmm. in the park in Vallejo. Yeah. And now they do Vallejo, and I think Martinez, mm-hmm. and I think one other site, and Oakland. Yeah. So it's it's wonderful to see how it's grown. Yeah, well, there's there's a Shakespeare Renaissance going on. And I talked about it last week. You know, we've got Hamlet, Hamlet, Hamlet. Right. And um, I think there's another um, maybe Midsummer Night's Dream. I'm not sure, but um, 
Yeah, Titus and Rome. Oh, there is a Midsummer. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, before we get into um, other topics, um, the, I guess the big news today was uh, really North Korea. I don't know mm. if I should be afraid or not afraid. I mean, how, how do you feel about what's what's happening? I spent the morning looking it up because I thought I'd heard that at one point mm-hmm. it's Kim Il-jung, right? Yeah. Um, I thought I'd heard him or, you know, the North Korean diplomats mm-hmm. make the offer that they would agree to a freeze if we would halt our exercises over in that area. Oh, I didn't hear that. That's why I was looking today. I'm flipping through, and I finally saw it in the New York Times, but yeah. it's buried deep in the story. Oh, goodness. And everybody who does manage to reference it blows it off like a, well, that's ridiculous. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Doing exercises in our part of the world is one thing. Going over to the other side of the world to mm-hmm. run our little military around, mm-hmm. I don't know why we can't suspend that long enough to sit down and talk to these people. Now is that at Guam? I mean, because uh, you know they're targeting Guam, or they ta- they're talking they're about claiming, targeting yeah, Guam. Target. So they talk. But about this offer happened before that. Oh, oh, okay. That was the, the Guam thing was the latest, and that was an escalation since our guy can't stop escalating. Right, right, exactly. It's a lot of flexing. I mean, there's you know in, in elementary school you have to get a kid that flexes at you. Right, pretends they're going to hit you. You just flex back. Yeah, and then you get, you know, just two macho-macho guys just flexing, and nobody's right. really taking a swing at anything. But, um, no, and I mentioned Guam is, is that the training, if the training is happening at Guam, I wouldn't see that to be a problem. But you're saying the training, that whatever no, we're in doing. The, um, in, like, the South China Sea and okay, all, all over there, we keep doing exercises. Got it. And part of it is our jockeying against China. We're showing China. We're here. We're here. We're ready for it. Right, exactly, because China has been targeting a couple of islands. There's one couple of islands close to Japan, and there's been, oh, it's our land, and Japan saying, no, it's our land. Right. I I remember And that's been going on for a long time. And and I understand all that. One, number one, that's not us. If somebody was doing something in the Caribbean, Mm -hmm. as we have done, we say, oh, wait a minute, that's too close to us. You can't be doing that here. That's what China's doing in the same way that Russia did similarly when mm-hmm. uh, the whole thing came up with the Ukraine. Like, wait right, a minute. Right. You are cutting into our – that's our mm-hmm. route to get down, you know, to the Black Sea. That's mm-hmm. that's an important route for us. You can't just tell us you're going to take over what's going on in our backyard. Right. So that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. The U.S. is doing that. And Korea, North Korea is the one that's going, oh, no, you need to stop that. China says it, but China says it diplomatically, and as right. long as we give China some more money, China doesn't grumble that much. Right. North Korea doesn't care about the money. <laughs> right. And, of course, there's a bit of propaganda. You know, they're trying to – you know, ever, ever since he, his father died, Kim mm-hmm. Jong-il has been trying to boost himself up and right. make himself a man. He's trying to prove that he's bigger than his daddy. Yeah. Right, exactly. Among the – who knows the generals and the majors and, and right. who, whomever who he hasn't proven himself to. And also, I, I have this little theory that we have these major events that happen on the first year mm-hmm. of a person's presidency, U.S. presidency, like right. with um, Clinton. Mm-hmm. Clinton was elected in 92. In 93, there was a bombing at the World Trade Center. Not mm-hmm. September 11th, oh, right. but yeah. there was a bombing. Right. Bush was elected in 2000, 2001, September 11th. Right. It didn't happen under the Obama administration. Nothing right. really big happened in 2009. Yeah, except for the economy tanking. Well, yeah. I mean, that but we that did that ourselves. Happened, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the sub, you know, thank you, subprime loans and, mm-hmm. and all of those guys. Um, so now Trump, elected in 2016, now 2017. I really do believe there's some foreign leaders who are like, hey, 
he's he's new, he's young. Right. He probably has a staff that doesn't know what they're doing. So let's test and see mm-hmm. what what what's going to happen. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure what North Korea is doing. I just don't think it's all crazy. Mm-hmm. And I do think, like I said, about the territory thing, because one of the reasons China's supporting them mm-hmm. is people. I don't think people recognize the map on this. Number one, mm-hmm. we cannot have a military option. We cannot have a military response to this because anything serious, like a nuclear bomb, South Korea is right there. Right. So that would be like somebody attacking San Francisco. And saying, oh, that's not going to affect L.A. That's going to go right down the coast. Of, of course, course it's it going to affect L.A. Of course it is. So that's, gonna, that's one. Mm-hmm. Um, two, on the other side of that map is China. China. That's exactly And China right. is saying, we don't want to do anything to destabilize North Korea because these people are going to come running into our country. Right. So this China is saying, mm-hmm. hey, let's slow down. Mm-hmm. That, you know, ratchet down all yeah. the noise about military, and let's see if we can have this a This is why Truman fired Douglas MacArthur. This mm-hmm. happened in, I think it was 1940, I want to say 49, 48, 47, mm-hmm. around that time. Well, there was the Korean War that was going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, MacArthur was sent, you know, with his boys to push the North Koreans out of South Korea. Right, which they did. Which they did, but MacArthur wanted to go even further. Right, he wanted to push them all the way up. Exactly, and Truman was like, no, you can't do that, and... MacArthur wanted to go directly to Congress to try mm-hmm. to oversee, you know, to bypass the president. Right. And that's when Truman was like, you know, you're fired. Right. And he gave his great speech, um, MacArthur's speech, old soldiers don't die, they fade away, blah, mm. blah, blah. But it was basically, we can't let, ch- we we don't want to destabilize, we don't want to screw our relationship with, with China. Right. So, yes, we don't like what they did, but let's just leave them alone. Right. So, so the answer has to be something besides a military answer. Right. And I don't know what it's going to be based on what I'm seeing in the media. Because, like I said, I spent my morning flipping through to try and see Mm -hmm. where the information was about the North Korea thing. Now, the horrible thing is there's – I forget what it's called. The Globalist, I think. There's a media outlet. Mm -hmm. Um, And they had – they were the first ones I found that actually talked about what I'm talking about, the Mm -hmm. North Korea. And the North Korean offer Mm -hmm. to, yeah, we will will agree to a freeze if you de-escalate. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. is saying, oh, heck no, that's ridiculous. We don't have to do that. And the, so this is the only media outlet that I read that had it. Mm-hmm. But they were citing a visit from, and I can't even remember who all the people were, but one of them was Jill Stein. And I was like, no, mm-hmm. nope, all you have to do is say Jill Stein. And a bunch of people in America <coughs> immediately shut down and shut and stopped paying attention. I'm like, no, what's important in this is that. The government of North Korea made an offer to do a freeze. Mm -hmm. Where is that going? Why are we not willing to at least discuss that? Mm -hmm. We don't have to drop our military. We don't have to do that. But we just have to get our boats Mm -hmm. out of their area. I don't even know if our ambassadors are even qualified to even handle Do we even have one? Well, uh, the ambassador is Nikki, Nikki Haley. But, oh, I mean, you mean the U.N. ambassador? The U.N. ambassador. The uh, <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. Well, and that's one of the bizarre <clears throat> things. Again, everybody wants to say the North Koreans are crazy. This guy's crazy. But one of the things they're saying is the Bush, uh, Bush, the Trump White House doesn't even know what they're doing. They can't even agree what they're doing. Exactly. So Tillerson is saying one thing. Trump is saying something exactly. else. Um, Nikki, Haley. Nikki Haley is saying mm-hmm. something else. Um, who's the guy? Um, Mad Dog. Is saying something else, you mm-hmm. know. Our military is not agreeing with our Secretary of State, is not agreeing with our UN ambassador, exactly. is not agreeing with the and, he's having, and, and the president having fights with Mitch McConnell. 
right. who has his own opinion about what's going on. And yeah. everyone's saying, listen, you know, we can't – let's just hold off on the tweets and, you know, escalating and provoking North Korea. Didn't they, didn't they shut him down? When he went on vacation, didn't they say he's still, well, he's still tweeting? No, no. But I mean, in terms of um, the military doing anything, didn't Congress kind of go, "Hey, military, talk to us before you do anything"? Oh no, I didn't hear about that. But hey, that's well, it's it's a scary place to be. It's what sure. the, the, it's them doing the job that they were supposed to do. That is their job. Yeah, is to oversight, give mm-hmm. oversight. Yeah, but they haven't been doing it in forever. Yeah, but they're doing it now on the down low. Because mm-hmm. this man is so scary, they don't want to look like they're publicly <coughs> disagreeing mm-hmm. with him, but they can't trust what he's going to say from one day to the next. Right. And I, I still have a theory about Republican presidents. Pretty much all of them have started a war mm-hmm. to want to, you know, be the president to right. win a war. Right. I mean, it goes all the way to Nixon really didn't start Vietnam. That was started by right. Lyndon B. Johnson, but he escalated But he it. couldn't, yeah, he yeah. couldn't get out of it. <laughs> right. But you got to go all the way back to Eisenhower. Well, really, Korea, I don't know if Eisenhower started Korea, but really, it goes all the way back. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's a scary thing. I hope that Trump isn't thinking along those lines. So, I hope not. Yeah. Okay, so let's mm. <laughs> we put a button to the, on that one. Uh, a topic that you and I have been talking about off, 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 line, off mm-hmm. mic has been about, it's, it's sort of a delicate, I don't even know if it's a big thing, but, you know, actors and actresses and... Um, and I suppose direct, really, really actors and actresses, we deal with the psychology of being accepted, being rejected. I mean, a lot mm-hmm. of times, I don't know. I can say that I've done a good job as an actor when I hear the applause right. and I get a pat on the head. Sure. Right, you've done a great job. That's wonderful. Right. Or I get a boost if I'm accepted or if I get cast mm-hmm. in something. Right. And it's a wonderful thing. But we don't really talk about, and no one posts it on Facebook if you don't get the job, mm-hmm. or if, God forbid, you're fired or let go from right. a production. Well, yeah, those definitely not seeing anybody post. Or if you are in a production and you don't do a great job, mm-hmm. and no one really talks about it. Right. And I wonder if people go through depression as a result of it, and how actors deal, because really, our fuel... We are masters of handling and manipulating our emotion, right? As you know, for our characters, right? And h- how do you deal with it? Have you ever had to deal with? I mean, have you thought about anything like this? Well, I, I think when you make that choice, the weird identity that one takes on as an artist, mm-hmm. um, because to it's sort of a sele- self-selecting field. You decide you are an artist, mm-hmm. and when you take that on, well. Then you immediately put yourself in the spectrum of successful failure. You know, right. where are you in that spectrum? <coughs> mm-hmm. And you're constantly gauging that. You have to. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I think comes up as a theater artist, mm-hmm. so I think I've said it before, I, I didn't identify as an actor until a friend introduced me at a party mm-hmm. to some people as an actor. Mm-hmm. And I felt myself just sort of knee-jerk wanting to say, well, no, no. I mean, I, I do a little acting, but – and I thought, well, wait a minute. I hustle, mm-hmm. and I have – he's right. I got back-to-back shows going. i am always got something going on. And mm-hmm. I came out of college working in a show and just kept going, kept doing. Mm-hmm. Um, when you hit that downtime, mm-hmm. because when you're doing it, whether or not you're successful, whether or not you feel like you're totally successful mm-hmm. – um, 
if you're doing it yeah. and you've got that next show lined up, mm-hmm. well, you're an actor because right. you can identify that way. But mm-hmm. what happens when you hit that gap? Right. And suddenly you're not an actor. You were an actor. Mm-hmm. You might be an actor again, but right now, today, I'm just a guy. Right. And the worst part, we're actually in mm-hmm. one of the worst periods of the year, I think. Um, August is hard because August has downtime. Mm-hmm. If you. There are some summer shows. You know, theater has its regular season, which runs roughly from September through May. Right. Um, And then there's that summertime. And there are a lot of summer festivals, a lot of summer shows, Mm -hmm. things that do that. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a bunch of them that, you know, if they have a typical run, they're only going to run a few weeks. Mm -hmm. Now, the big ones, Mm -hmm. Cal Shakes, SF Shakes, you know – all these bigger companies mm-hmm. are going to run for the whole season. So in Cal Shake's case, it's going to be three or four shows mm-hmm. from May till October. Mm-hmm. In SF Shakes, it's one or two shows mm-hmm. that they run for the whole summer. If you're not in one of those and then you're some little company that does a typical three, four, five-week run of a show, mm-hmm. suddenly you hit August <laughs> and you're doing nothing. Yeah. And – the auditions, either people have already auditioned for their first, their season openers, or they're auditioning for December, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, some of them are doing season auditions, but most of them do that in the spring. Yeah. Um, you're at that place where you don't know who you are and what you're going to do next. Mm-hmm. And I know I've hit it over the years. I've hit it a few times <coughs> where I'm just like, wow. And so this time of year hits me mm-hmm. typically hard. And right now, especially when we're in this gray period where we have the sun may not burn through until afternoon. Oh, yeah. If you don't have to get up and go out and do something in the morning. Yeah. It's easy for that depression to just start creeping in. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you don't have a day job. I mean, like I take for granted that if I'm not working, okay, well, I'm doing something from 8 o'clock, really right. 7.30 to, uh, to, to 5. And there are times where I'm like, thank God I'm not doing the acting stuff. I can enjoy just chilling out in bed and just, you know, enjoying my evenings and my weekends and right. all of that stuff. But for the working actor, I mean, somebody like you, you, you can't afford to do that at all. I mean, you need to have those well, jobs. you have to find the balance. Right. And uh, this gets more to the point, this idea of, of mm-hmm. depression, the depression side of it. I think the rejection side is a whole other issue. Yeah. But, um, but what works for both of those is to remind yourself. Occasionally, you are going to have that time where you don't have to get up on the weekend because mm-hmm. you don't have a rehearsal. Yeah, and you know, and when your show opens, mm-hmm. suddenly you're not jumping up first thing in the morning mm-hmm. um, to start to balance that part of your life and mm-hmm. remind yourself. Yeah, the the other parts of being human, mm-hmm. so that you keep track of that, so that you aren't just stuck in the "Am I successful actor or not?" Yeah, here's a question for you. I'm not going to mention her name, but mm-hmm. there's an actress that you and I both know mm-hmm. who had – she she did she did her job well, but there were some psychological things going on mm-hmm. uh, within her home. I mean, I guess there were some just disruptions going on in her home or whatever. And she did a good enough job, but as a director, how do you deal – you may even say it's not even my job, mm-hmm. but how do you deal with someone who is doing the best they can, but psychologically they can't – bring themselves to do the role and let's say you find out you know a little late you, you know what i'm talking about well i i think as a director you're always gauging 
mm-hmm. where your talent pool is and what they can do. And hopefully you're also gauging how much you're asking of somebody humanly. Right. The, um, the tender napalm that we were talking about earlier. Right, right. Um, when you've got a show that's hyper-physical and not just physical, intimate, there mm-hmm. are times when these two are hugged. It's funny because they must spend 30, 40 minutes maybe before they get to the first kiss. Right. But before they get there, they've been in kissing proximity a mm-hmm. couple of times mm-hmm. and maybe even looked like they were about to kiss a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Now, you think about what that means in rehearsal. Sure. Here I am with this stranger, maybe somebody I've never known before, mm-hmm. and within a couple of weeks of knowing each other, we're supposed to be kissing mm-hmm. or rubbing up on each other. Mm-hmm. And i got to go home to my life, my wife. you mm-hmm. got to go home to your partner. Right. Um, you know. How do you deal with that? And in fact, um, I know that Elizabeth Carter, another mm-hmm. actress that we know. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth, when she was doing first, when she was first in, she's now married. Yeah. But when they were the first in the <coughs> relationship, and she'd mm-hmm. get in a show, and it was a show where she had to be kissing somebody on stage, mm-hmm. her now wife mm-hmm. really had an attitude about that. Mm. And so one of the things she had to do was make sure that they met as early as possible. Mm-hmm. And you find out, oh, yeah, this guy, he's got a wife, and here's his wife, mm-hmm. and they're happy, and she knows what's going on, and we all understand this is something we do on stage, yep. not outside of stage. Yeah. So it's that same balancing act, mm-hmm. knowing what's going on on the personal versus what's going on in the, in the rehearsal right. room. Yeah. So as a director, if I know somebody's going through a hard time, let's say somebody lost a loved one yeah. during the run of our show, mm-hmm. well... If you're a human being, you have to consider that this person may need to step away. On the other hand, if you're a smart human being, you may recognize that this might be the best thing for this person to do is to stay in the show. And actually, I know another actress Mm -hmm. in the Bay Area who we were doing a show. Her mother died, Mm. and she went away for a couple of days. Yeah. But she called the producers and said, I'm coming back. I need this right now. Exactly. I would feel the exact same way because I can't stay idle. If I'm in a depressed state, I've got to work. So that's your job as a director is, one, to make that space. Yeah. Then, two, to gauge. Are you fragile? Are you too fragile right now? Right. How much can I get out of you and can I work around it? Which is the judgment I'm making all the time as a director. Mm-hmm. How much can I get out of you? Yeah. How much is pushing you too far? Mm-hmm. Can, I get, can I get done what I need done in this show? Right. If you can't get to where I need you, is there some way for yeah. me to work around that? And there's always the balance as a director – on one side, there's something you need from the actor. Right. But then there's the human side of you as a director to say, maybe I can't push you too far. Mm-hmm. Now, some directors just don't care. Uh, we had Radhika Rao on this show talk mm-hmm. about as a female, the director clearly wanted more out, wanted more out of her right. than what she wanted to give at that moment. Or at least she wanted someone to check in to say, hey, are you okay? Oh, I'm, I am definitely at that place now as a director. Uh, and... Before, I sort of knew it was a good idea, and let's say for liability reasons or whatever, you don't want to run actors through intimate scenes without, you know, it's sort of like make sure there's an open door, make sure somebody else is sitting in, as well as just checking in with those two, just those sorts of, that level. Now I'm totally aware of it on the other level. If this is, let's say it's an erotic moment, Mm -hmm. a a really intimate moment Mm -hmm. that we're crafting. Mm -hmm. So, of course, on some level, I'm gauging it personally. Mm-hmm. Do I consider this to be an erotic moment? Yeah. I'm also checking in with the actors to see what they're doing and what they're giving right. and how comfortable they are with each other. Right. So all of that is part of the mix. Mm-hmm. But also, 
I don't need it to be a little pervy moment where I'm just sitting here going, wow, I'm all excited. Exactly. I need somebody else sitting here. Mm -hmm. I need my stage manager. I need designers. I need somebody else in the room. Yeah. The rest of my cast. I need somebody else there. And for those particularly intimate moments, yes, we're going to clear the room. We're going to have this moment. Mm -hmm. But then we're going to still, my stage manager is going to be there. Mm -hmm. We're going to set a specific time on it. We're going to check in with everybody. We're going to work on this moment. Then we're going to check in again. Then we're going to step away from it. Mm -hmm. And I'm really good about setting time for that stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's that level of awareness. I'm like, wow, if it's an enticing, um, intimate moment, Mm -hmm. I, as a potential, as a representative of the audience that Mm -hmm. I want to bring in, Mm -hmm. I want to feel that. Right. But in the same way, I'm not going to let my audience just get – you know, give them some moment of titillation, and that's all I'm doing is titillating my audience. Right. Am I still telling the story? Am mm-hmm. I making this work the way it needs to work? So I was very comfortable. Tender Napalm, they had all kinds of gorgeous moments like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, there was never a moment where you felt like, okay, TMI. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's too much information. I don't, I don't need to see that much of y'all right now. Right. Um, it reminds me. It never got there. Yeah. It, it was it was gorgeous where they kept that balance. Yeah, no, it sounds like Tinder Nabal did a fantastic job of that. And talking to Robert Estes, he sounds like a, a sensitive individual mm-hmm. who wouldn't let it go right. too too far. Susan had made a comment. She she made a sort of I don't know, snarky by saying basically it's men who well, uh, it's a lot of times it's men. Yeah. Or it's somebody, it's a man not being aware of all those other things. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I'm now way more aware of the, the sort of structure right. of what it means to craft a moment like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm not as indulgent as I might have been 20 years ago right. where I've been like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 that's good. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're not a porn director. <laughs> right, right. And I'm not. I'm not a porn director, and I'm not trying to put a piece of porn in front of my right. audience. exactly. So can we get... Can we fulfill the needs of the story? Can we bring in that sense of intimacy or even more, better word, vulnerability right. without it costing? Because now let's get back to the emotional life that we're talking about. That actor who's living that emotional, personal mm-hmm. life that mm-hmm. they now have to come in and now this heightened, the intensity of mm-hmm. this dramatic situation that we are crafting mm-hmm. on top of whatever they're personally dealing with. Right. You've got to keep tracking that. If you're not tracking that in a rehearsal process, you're mm-hmm. not doing a good job of directing. Yeah. Because you may get to some place that's incredibly poignant and amazing. Yeah. You may not be able to re- recreate it, or worse, that person may walk out really damaged because of it. Yeah, you know, it's it reminds me of uh, two things. Uh, when you were talking about the intimacy, I'm, I'm reminded myself of statements. Right. And uh, Chuck Polly, the, the late Chuck Polly, who directed us in that, and for those who don't know statements, uh, basically... Adolf Fugard, that's amazing right, South Adolf African playground. Exactly. And uh, the main character, there are two main characters who are naked uh, throughout three-fourths for, of the play. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, then we put our clothes on. And throughout the process, me and Lorraine con- consistently talk to each other. And I got to meet Lorraine's husband to say, hey, look, I'm Reg Clay and everything's cool and it's not, you know, (laughs) whatever. But Lorraine needed something from me to see something to know that I'm not a pervy guy or the Eastern is not a pervy company or whatever. Right. Because she was coming in from the outside. Mm -hmm. All of us were members of Eastenders. So the comfort level had to be – so it's it's my responsibility as an actor to make sure my partner is comfortable working with me. Mm -hmm. Also, what I just finished the the chain, I had an actress who was my wife, 
Right. And although it was very, very small, I mean, it's like a 20-minute play slash musical, mm-hmm. but the audience had to believe this is a husband and wife who's been together for right. years. Right. So I had to talk to, you know, uh, the actress, uh, Rochelle Bowman, who did a fantastic job, very, very comfortable with me, and, you know, we talked to each other. We even prayed, prayed with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got to such a comfort level that – it was believable to the audience, and that's the purpose. You could bring that relationship, yeah. Exactly. Now, jumping back out to uh, the, the emotional. So the actor has a responsibility. It's not just the director. Right. If I know that I've got to get to a an emotional point, mm-hmm. there's a part in the script that's very, very emotional, I have to know, even before I've picked up the script, even before I've accepted the job, mm-hmm. I can handle this emotion and not right. go too far. Right. Or be able to get there. If I know that I can't get there, mm-hmm. I remember doing uh, Jeannie Barago's play uh, Aurora, Aurora. Aurora, yeah. Which uh, dealt with um, it was family loss. Yeah, death in the family. Yeah, it was in the family. Yeah. The, uh, the mass yeah, my, shooting hysteria around Aurora. Colorado. Right, exactly. And I played the father of a woman who was killed. And clearly the character could not handle the emotion. Right. And although it was just a reading, I had to get there. It was yeah. very, very tough. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, one night I, I really, really did feel it the way that the character needed to feel it. But mm-hmm. it was one of those things I wish I had more rehearsal time to really right. get into it. Well, for a reading, yeah, you're only going to get one or two <laughs> shots if you're lucky. Well, sure, but you want to do the best you can. Yeah. Because, you know, I care about Jeannie and her work and her mm-hmm. work as a baby and all of that stuff. But I can imagine someone, let's say, who did have a child right. who passed away. Right. And may – it may be too much or whatever. So the, uh, well, all I'm mm-hmm. saying is the actor has a responsibility right. to know his or her emotional um, level, yeah. what what they can do, what they can't do. Well, so let's flip it now because the mm-hmm. other part you brought up was the rejection thing. Yeah. And that one even more. So I like I connected this all to the season and right. you know and the way the Bay Area climate runs this gray morning pattern for mm-hmm. days and days and days. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I used to scream. I mean, literally, I would go outside and scream mm-hmm. because I couldn't believe it was July or it was August. Yeah. And, you know, the temperature today wasn't going to get above 70-something. Right. And that wasn't going to be until midday when the fog burned off. Right. You know, and right. days and days and days, weeks yeah. of that pattern. Yeah. It just drove me crazy. Yeah. And eventually, at some point, I had to go, well, this is where I live. Mm-hmm. And this is what the pattern is here. Yeah. And if I got a day off, I have a day off. Mm-hmm. Like yesterday, we actually went to the Legion of Honor. Mm-hmm. And I have I have a sort of knee-jerk reaction to the weather around mm-hmm. this. So I'm like, wait a minute. We're going to go from where we are, where the sun will eventually burn off, yeah. to the other side of San Francisco, where they will be lucky if they see the sun. It might be like pushing 3 o'clock or so before the sun burns out for an hour or two before it goes right back into the fog. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where we're going to go. But yeah. we're going to be inside a museum mm-hmm. looking at all these gorgeous artwork. It was the perfect thing to do on a day like that. And I was like, okay, so that's what we're going to do. And mm-hmm. we did. And it was fabulous. How fantastic. Um, so I'm learning to do that with auditions. Mm-hmm. One, I want to make sure that I work as hard as I can to prep for the audition. Yep. You know, if I know the play, that's great. Mm -hmm. To understand the character, if there's a dialect or something about the text that's important to know or something about the history Mm -hmm. that the show is, you know, using as a backdrop, Mm -hmm. um, I want to get all that information. I want to prepare myself. Mm -hmm. Am I playing a father? I am an adult. You know, I'm over 50 and have never had a child. But people my age, 
and therefore characters mm-hmm. that I would be playing mm-hmm. are people with adult children. Yeah. What is that relationship? Well, fortunately, I'm a teacher. Mm-hmm. So that helps me to deal with mature people, yep. you know, not children, mm-hmm. in that situation and go, oh, okay, that's how that works. Mm-hmm. And I've directed enough with young people, young actors, <clears throat> to go, okay, well, I, I have some idea what those dynamics are. What the, I can bring some of that to it. So I prepare all of that. Mm-hmm. Well, this happened uh, last year. Emmett and Ava. Yeah. I prepared. I was so excited. The Death of Salesman, this, right? Uh, no, Emmett and Ava um, I did last year oh, uh, okay, in the got summer. It. Got it, yeah. Um, and I played the father of Emmett. Emmett and Ava were a young couple who had died in a car crash. Yes, I remember you, t- I remember I you telling me that. Yeah. yeah. And you met the family of And the I other. met the family of the girl. Right. Um, that's the play. The world of the play is in their house, and I go over to meet them to talk about what's happened, only to find out they really don't know about the relationship between these two young mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of information and a lot for the actor to – a lot that is not spoken ever mm-hmm. in the play, mm-hmm. but is important information to sort of bring the world – Alive. What I was loving about it was here was an articulate black man. Mm-hmm. He was a self, um, you know, somebody who had his own job. His, yeah. um, he had created his own world, mm-hmm. um, lived under his own terms. Mm-hmm. And it turns out uh, in the course of the play, you find out that he's the kind of black man who actually deals with white people when he has to, but he chooses not to mm-hmm. when he can. Mm-hmm. So his son was actually making him, taking him into some zones of discomfort. Sure, sure. Um, all of that world was exciting to me as an actor mm-hmm. to, for me to explore that world. Yeah. I prepared for the audition. Yeah. I went to the audition. Mm-hmm. I nailed the audition. Mm-hmm. And yet I'm a small man. So, and I knew that the other son is alive and is a character in the play. Yeah. And so I need to look like I uh-huh. am reasonably the... The father, the father sure. of this adult black man who right. who rages a little bit, right? And I'm a little man, mm-hmm. and unless you think of daddy as being a little man, that's you know it. It wasn't what the playwright had in mind, or mm-hmm. it wasn't what the director had in mind. Mm-hmm. And so no. And when I walked out of the door of the audition, there was a big black man with dreads, mm-hmm. great salt and pepper dreads. Yeah, and I was like, oh crap. So that's actually who got cast. So I walked away going, well, you know what? I felt good about my read. I mm-hmm. felt good about my yeah. interaction with the director. Yeah. He got up and shook my hand. Yeah. Please, director, don't get up and do that to somebody unless you are really ready to cast them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that, but I walked away from all that, and I said to myself at home, mm-hmm. talking mm-hmm. to Mara, yeah. that um, I thought it was important. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I was going to get cast. Yeah. And that was not the important part of this. I'm an actor. Sometimes you're not going to get cast. That's right. Did I do a good job? Yes. Did I do everything I could, mm-hmm. you know, reasonably mm-hmm. to to show that I was capable of this role? I mm-hmm. think I did. Yeah. Um, is there anything I would do differently? Well, if I can think of some things I'd do differently, then I can make a little list. Instead of beating myself up about yeah. it, just go, wow, next time, remember this, or next time, remember that. Mm-hmm. Maybe don't wear those shoes next time because maybe those shoes are distracting. When mm-hmm. I Maybe I'll wear my comfortable shoes right. next time. Yeah. Whatever it is, to take a little mental list mm-hmm. and then pat myself on the back and give myself a treat. And mm-hmm. that's what I've started doing is I've decided – when I do an audition, I should get a little treat afterwards. <laughs> I do. I'll, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I, I was thinking a couple of years ago, I auditioned for Ray of Light Theater was doing mm-hmm. Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, and at around the same time, 
uh, I was also in uh, Godspell. Um, mm, wow. So, but I really wanted the I really wanted to do Jesus Christ Superstar. Mm-hmm. And I went in and, you know, uh, I did the audition. I told them that I was a second tenor and uh, I did my song and they gave me um, a sheet <clears throat> for a song, mm-hmm. which was really, really high. Oh, right. <laughs> and I just knew I was like, well, you know, I don't know if I can do this, but, you know, I did the best I could. And they did a uh, choreography dance because mm-hmm. everyone had to dance in the show. Right. And I did the best I could for a middle aged <laughs> black guy, which I am, although right. I don't feel that way. Um, and I didn't get cast at all. Mm-hmm. And I did, I had went to another Rave Light production. Um, something about dinosaurs. It was a musical about dinosaurs. Hmm. Jurassic <laughs> something. I don't, I oh, really can't remember what it was. I didn't get cast for that as, as well. But I, I, I told myself, listen, if I go in, there are times where I go into an audition and I can feel the vibe. I can feel who they're looking for mm-hmm. and what type they're looking for. And you have to be honest with yourself. You have to say, listen, right. they're looking for someone else other than me. Right. I, can sh- I can show them the best that I can. Even if I'm rejected, they still have my resume and and uh, and, right. and, and they show and they know who I am. So the next time around, mm-hmm. they were like, hey, I remember that guy. Okay, right. let me go ahead and whatever. So all you can do is give the best presentation of who you are. Mm-hmm. Um and really just walk away and just like what you said, give yourself a treat, you know. Like I afterwards, I went across the street of the Victorian, went to the uh, Burger King, you know. Mm-hmm, right. Pigged out a little bit. Yeah. Not, not out of sadness or anything like that. No. And I went on to the next audition. No, give yourself, give yourself credit mm-hmm. for what you've accomplished. Yeah. Try to be reasonable in your assessment about whether or not you did exactly. as much as you could. You got to be honest with yourself. And and if you and if you missed something or you failed something, mm-hmm. then. You take that on the chin, but take the information. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can do this better. I know I can do this better. Right. That's what partly why you're able to recognize it is yeah. you know how you fell short. Yeah. You know, or you described once um, where somebody gave you a side and you said you knew you couldn't hit those notes. Yeah. And you were just upfront about that. That is so much better to do. Now, you know, we don't have that much control over that, but I know those things used to depress me. Mm-hmm. I would do an audition, and I would walk away thinking, why didn't they cast me? Mm-hmm. I thought I was perfect for yeah. it. I thought I did a great job. Yeah. And when my phone doesn't ring or it rings too quick to tell you, oh, yeah, well, thank you for coming in, but we're not going to use you. Right. You know, those that would just kill me. And Back, back when you were young? Yeah, just, you know. Maybe, you know, even 10 years ago or so. Sure, sure. Um, that would just devastate me. Yeah. And so instead I started saying, well, okay. And then the other part is, so I know this audition is coming up. I'm preparing, preparing for this audition. Mm-hmm. What am I doing afterwards? Now I might be going to a gig or doing something else afterwards, mm-hmm. and that's fine. Especially if you do an audition and you're going to a rehearsal, mm-hmm. eh, nothing feels better than that. Yeah. I don't know what's worse, not getting cast, because I've – I've, I, there, there have been roles that I've had where it's like, it's a, wow, it's the best role that I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And you have the applause and, and whatever, and then it's over. And you think something big is going to happen afterwards, All and right. nothing happens. Well, and that's another place. You know, that's what I had to start asking myself. Or where are the places that depression hits me? Right. And it's that sense of rejection without understanding why. Right. Um, that one is a big one. Mm-hmm. The other one is that. Um, I think I might have mentioned it. I... When I just finished this Eugene O'Neill workshop that I did, mm-hmm. um, I needed to take some time afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I probably should have planned some time mm-hmm. um, so that I could get some sense of closure. Yeah. 
because you need to be able to close that up and then go back to normal life. Right. So ask yourself what you need. Mm -hmm. Do you need something? Does it just take a moment? If yeah. you just wrote a card saying goodbye, would that be enough? Would that yeah. be it? Do you need to go out for a round of drinks with everybody afterwards? Yeah. Do you need a big blowout yeah. party? And maybe you need to assess why you why are you an actor? Are you an actor because you want the accolade? You want to be blown up and to be applauded and to be told you are wonderful. Mm. Not to say that it's selfish or anything like that. I no. mean, everyone deserves to you know be treated like a king for a day. Well, yeah, uh, especially if you do hard work. You know, if you do hard work, you deserve to be applauded. Well, you and you, right? You want to know why it is you're doing this? Because your other question was, you do this great job, and you're like, well, this should lead to something, right? The next question that you can ask yourself is, what is that something you think it should lead to? Mm-hmm. What are the steps in that direction? Have you done anything to set that up? Right. Because I, I'll tell you, I did a solo show once, mm-hmm. and afterwards, a producer came up to me and said, "What are you going to do next?" I was so hurt and shocked. I was like, wait a minute. I, I, if he'd have walked up with a contract and said, here's a contract and we got an airplane ticket for you and you're flying into right, Hollywood right, tomorrow. Because exactly. we hear those stories, right? We hear the stories like a producer, I was discovered. Right. And all of a sudden, boom, I'm big and all of that stuff. Right. Yeah. But most of the time, that's not what happens. Mm-hmm. And what I should have taken away from that was this is the producer offering me the most positive thing they can. Mm-hmm. They can't. They're. If they could produce something on a bigger level, they'd already be doing it. Mm-hmm. So they've just given you the mm-hmm. biggest platform that you're going to get from them. And now they come back to you to ask you what you're going to do next. Because yeah. they might – this same producer years later um, gave us a lot of support and money for um, a show, a, a solo piece that I directed. Mm-hmm. Um, he gave us a ton of support. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized by that point – that's what he meant when he asked me at the initial point. He wanted to know what I wanted to do next. He oh. was curious to see what I was going to do next. So if you gave him the right answer, like uh, if, you, if you had a definitive plan, he could have backed you. It might have been nothing more than to say, well, gosh, when you do that, let me know if you need rehearsal space. Rehearsal space got to come from someplace. Somebody's got to pay for it. Hey. You know, he might not be able to give me nothing else but that. Maybe he's got publicity avenues that he could push me toward mm-hmm. to help me take that next step. Mm-hmm. But, no, he didn't have a next step to offer me, but he was willing to support me, and I didn't recognize it. I just thought, I was mad. I was like, what do you mean? What am I going to do next? I just did a fabulous show. Why should I have to do something else? <laughs> right, as if it ends right there and right. Then we all live happily ever after. Yeah, I know right. you. So, uh, you know, that's what I've been learning over the years is mm-hmm. those moments where depression is likely to hit. Mm-hmm. What can I do to set it up? What am I missing? Because yeah. partly the depression, depression is usually not an accurate assessment of what's going on. Depression is the some inflated yeah. sense of what you, your expectations, right. and then that doesn't fulfill, mm-hmm. and you deflate. You feel horrible. Sure. So instead to say, well, what should happen? Mm-hmm. I go to theater works and I audition. Theater works sees hundreds, probably thousands of actors a year. Yeah. So they're not going to hire but dozens of actors a year. That's right. So hundreds of us are not going to get hired. That's right. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. And I know they know you. Mm-hmm. And I know they know they have assessed your talent maybe even accurately. And they just don't have a spot for you right now. Mm-hmm. Or the spot they have for you, there's two other guys mm-hmm. that they've been seeing for a year or two. Yeah. That they've been hungry to get on their stage. Yeah. And they're like, wow, those guys are in line in front of you. Mm-hmm. So we're going to hire this guy this time. You yeah. might even be more talented than him, but 
y'all are really close. Yeah. He's very much your type, mm-hmm. and we already know him, and I've been following his career in a way I maybe I haven't been following yours. Right. So I'm going to hire him because I get jobs like that all the time. Somebody just mentions my name, or mm-hmm. I get a recommendation, and mm-hmm. I get called. Did I audition? No. I just got called in, and I'm yep. in. Yep. And that happens right. to me all the time. Right. I so wanna... you have to remember mm-hmm. that when you go to that audition, there are some natural steps, mm-hmm. and it's okay to have the expectation. In order to get the role, you have to have the expectation that you're going to get the role. Right. That's exactly You have right. to be aiming at that. Yeah. So when that doesn't happen, what can you do to stay sane? Right. Our, uh, so earlier this earlier this year, I had auditioned for um, the DMT, Douglas Morrison Theater. They mm-hmm. were doing a side-by-side by Sondheim. And I love Sondheim. But there were maybe 25, 30 people auditioning for the role. Mm-hmm. And there's only four people. Mm-hmm. In oh. the entire thing, right? Only four: soprano, alto, tenor, and you know, wow. and, and I think the narrator. So the director's like, "Listen, it's going to be really, really, really tough." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Hell, I don't care. I'm going to nail it." And right. I've been in this theater beforehand, and I right. know who the director is. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get the call. And I was like, "Oh my god, I'm in such a funk." But what I did was, I said, "Okay." Let me work on something else. Let me continue to audition and mm-hmm. let me continue to whatever. Right. And I'm sure a couple of years ago I would have just said, all oh, the hell with it. I'm just bummed out and I'll just, you know, go to work and just lay in bed or whatever. Right. right. But if I had done that this year, there wouldn't be the yay. Right. <laughs> there wouldn't be, you know, musical cafe where I was an actor. And, and also the latest draft of yeah. in Paris. It's just the the thing is work. Continue to work. Continue to audition. Well, continue to. Each of us has to ask themselves mm-hmm. what that is. What is that thing? Right. Because some people are going to throw themselves. And Lord knows there's so many careers of people mm-hmm. who failed at the thing that they aimed for. Right. And took that energy into something else. And that's what we know them for. They're famous for yeah. the thing that they did after they failed. Right. Going for the thing that they yeah. thought they were aiming for. And it's sort of another way of auditioning yourself. All of a sudden, let's say the director that didn't did not cast you in one thing, all of a sudden you're working in someplace else, mm-hmm. and they hear from the grapevine or whatever, or they look on the resume, oh, wow, I didn't know you did that or whatever. Right. And all of a sudden, your name gets around. I mean, the Bay Area is very, very tight-knit. Yeah. Your name is going to get around if you continue to work. That's yeah. the key thing. Well, I think both. Yeah. You have to You have to keep yourself in. Mm-hmm. And not just de- – because that, that audition thing especially mm. – excuse me. Mm-hmm. That audition thing is putting your talent, your gift, your whatever, whatever it is you've got to give right. in somebody else's hands and mm-hmm. letting them have the decision. Right. Sometimes you have to do that, and it's okay. Yeah. But to remind yourself that you have the power to do something else. Right. You know, and it could be as simple as taking a walk in the park or mm-hmm. a bike ride or whatever. Mm-hmm. If that puts you back in your groove, if that puts you back in that place where you know that you're right in the world, yeah, you will then turn back around and come back to the stage mm-hmm. with this incredible, clear energy. Yeah, you won't have the chip on your shoulder, or at yeah. least it won't be as big. You won't be, oh, mm-hmm. last time they just ignored me. They always ignore <laughs> me. Because that energy comes in the room with you, and it's horrible when you come yeah. in kind of going, here I am for the fifth time. Y'all going to ignore me again this time? Oh, yeah. You're absolutely right. That's yeah. the energy they're going to read. Yeah. If you come in and kind of going, wow, y'all y'all are doing some stuff I'm really excited about again. Yeah. And the I thing hope is that this is the time they, that the magic is going to yeah. hit this time. And if they continue to call you back, they're not doing it to be cruel. Right. They're doing it because they want to see what you have and hopefully you have something new 
So together. for me, it's being married helps yes. because I don't have the luxury of laying around for days. Where mm-hmm. before, if I finished a gig and I didn't have another gig for a few weeks, yeah, I have had times where I have spent most of that time doing nothing. Where I spent days just laid up in bed hmm. and you know horribly depressed. Yeah, and it's depressing. Of yeah. course, it is. You're staring at the four walls. That's depressing. Yeah. Even being smart enough eventually, this was, well, many years ago, mm-hmm. I finally realized even when I don't have a job, get up in the morning, open the curtains, let that daylight in. Mm-hmm. And then because the place I had faced east, mm-hmm. no, faced west, yeah. um, if I went out the front door of my apartment, there was a little, um, I don't even know what to call it, a little foyer yeah. um, with a, a glass door on the front side of the building where yeah. the sun came in. Yeah. And so I got in the habit of going out there to have my coffee. Yeah, there you go. And sit in the sun mm-hmm. and just doing that. If I did nothing else that morning, if yeah. I sat around for two hours yeah. listening to the radio and drinking my coffee and eating my breakfast, yeah. um, I felt so much better than if I laid in bed. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing things like that mm-hmm. to remind myself that this is my day. This is my life. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if I got the part or I didn't get the part. Today is still a good day. Yeah. And also, we were talking about um, last episode, education mm. and how important education is. Um, how important education is um, for an actor. Because, you know, the greater your vocabulary is and greater your knowledge is, the greater you can handle a complex script. Mm, Let's mm-hmm. say Scott Munson or, you know, a playwright hands you a script mm-hmm. for a reading or what have you. And if you can't handle the subject matter, mm-hmm. and it could be a very complex subject matter. Or the matter. structure. Yeah, the, or the structure. So you could spend that downtime where you're not working, mm-hmm. getting, you know, reading, getting involved in current events or doing something else that will enhance you as a person. Right. Which will, of course, enhance you as an actor. Right. You yeah, know, internal so growth. So it's, I think it's finding that side of it. To mm-hmm. me, that was my balance anyway. Is right. I went through college as a – if I was not a straight-A student. I was never a straight-A student because I was always interested in doing more. So mm-hmm. maybe if I took fewer classes, I might have gotten better grades in those classes. Mm-hmm. But I was always willing to throw in an extra dance class or, wow, there's that 9 a.m. astronomy class. I can knock out a science credit. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get up and do that, yeah. not realizing that that means by the time I get to my afternoon classes, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be dragging. So that <laughs> right. afternoon class is going to suffer because I'm nodding. Yeah. And that morning class is going to suffer because I'm getting up early after I've been in rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's that's always been the way I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find knowing that about myself, mm-hmm. there are times when I can say, no, Armin, don't, don't push. Don't burn the candle at both ends. Right. You know, make some space there. Mm-hmm. Or just... Remember, I mean, more than anything, it was anytime I can remind myself Mm -hmm. that this is my day. This is just a day. Yeah. And this day is going to be gone. Yeah. And I can make the most of this day. I loved it when I learned that about rainy days. Mm -hmm. Instead of going, oh, it's raining. I can't go do anything. Well, what could I do today? Do I want to go to the movies? That's not going to stop me from going to the movies. Sure. You know, um, is it a good day to, oh, I've always been mean and to clean out that closet. That's right. I can't go do anything else today. Mm-hmm. Why don't I do that? Yeah. I had mentioned education because there's an actor that I know. I'm not going to mention his name. Mm-hmm. He always plays the cowboy role, role. Uh, like as a southern drawl. And mm-hmm. I think you had mentioned uh, someone who had played a, uh, a cowboy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you had mentioned that he had done other things, and you were curious as to how he handles it or whatever. But 
this this actor that I know just goes out for these roles, whether mm-hmm. it be Oklahoma or I don't know whatever it is. <laughs> right. Just and I said to myself, you know, if he just expanded himself, mm-hmm. he could be doing other things, mm-hmm. and obviously open himself up to get greater roles and and to expand himself. And, well, I get, and so I guess that's why I keep bouncing back and forth with this is I think. Like, I don't feel like I need to encourage people to try and do more theater or mm-hmm. do more acting or do anything on that. You're going to – either you're going to do it because you're curious or you're driven to do it or mm-hmm. you're not. Right. Um, what I would encourage all theater people to do is to make sure that they've got the personal time and the balance in it, their personal abso- life. Absolutely right. Because when things go great in that theater life, if you mm-hmm. stay grounded in your personal life, mm-hmm. you're going to enjoy that, but you're not going to have that crash when it's over. Right. And when things aren't going so great in your theatrical life, yeah, and yeah, that I, I, to balance yourself. Yeah. Last year, I was all about weeds. Mm-hmm. I was all about the weeds in my front yard, <laughs> and it's funny because I yeah. just last weekend went and I did some weeding. Sure, and I looked, and I was like, "Wow, number one, there's not anywhere near the kinds of weeds there were when mm-hmm. I was doing it a year or so ago." Yeah, and I have a better sense of how long it takes me. Yeah, and I went out and I did it, and I was done with it. Yeah. And yes, while I was there. I was just a guy in my neighborhood mm-hmm. doing my thing, yeah. and that's all I was. Now, after a while, I get bored, mm-hmm. so I start running monologues and stuff. And sure. right now, it's all Hamlet. It turns out Hamlet is going to start rehearsal a week earlier, oh. so it will be my birthday present. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Hamlet, <laughs> I will start rehearsals the week that's of my glorious. birthday. Yeah, so that'll be great. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I'm running lines. I'm doing stuff like that. Yeah, and it, I'm not doing it in that sort of I'm studying the script kind of way. Yeah. I'm doing it in a way like that is related to the dirt and the weeds in my yard. Sure. If I discover something through that yeah. process, mm-hmm. when I get it in the rehearsal place, that is going to that it. It, that will root. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. will I will have that. Yeah, it's wonderful to approach a script when you're in a relaxed state. Yeah. I find that if I'm stressed out and studying, I don't absorb as much. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's wonderful when you can do that in the relaxed state. Um, and also, I think about you know m- me doing podcasting. You know, I, mm-hmm. that's been a, a sort of a wonderful release for me. Mm-hmm. Which, sure, it has something to do with theater, but it's not really about theater. I mean, it's really just cutting on, our, you know, my hard my hard drive recorder mm-hmm. and just talking to a bunch of people. Right. Which is something I really, really enjoy. I'm the type right. of individual, you know, I grew up as an only child. I'm the oldest of four now, so I'm used to solitude. I'm used to silence or whatever. I don't really have a lot of... I'm not the type of guy that goes to a bar with a bunch of the boys and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. But I like the interpersonal conversations with just one-on-one with people. Right. And I just feel that I learn so much and I hear the stories Mm -hmm. from people. And it actually helps me when when I actually do hit the stage. It's like, oh, I remember so-and-so told that story. I can use that. Yeah. And I can apply that. So, So I think that, yeah, the button is, you know, just... Find that counterbalance mm-hmm. outside, off the stage. You know, the stage. You, you have to. Yeah. You, as you say, every time you come back to the stage, mm-hmm. you bring all of that with you. Right. But, you know, if you make sure that you're – and it's not even about trying to – as a young person, when people said that to me, I thought, oh, that's a way I can make my acting better. <laughs> and now I'm like, no, I, when I played this adult, you know, this parent of an adult mm-hmm. – I didn't go off and try to study that very much. I really didn't. I tried to think about what the text was asking for mm-hmm. and what the emotional life was in that character, yeah. which continued to grow for me, but not because I was going and treating it like some study, mm-hmm. but because I was just trying to live my life 
and then pay attention to what things might be relevant to mm-hmm. what I was doing on stage. Yeah. And, you know, I what I love about that is it means the next time I were, if I were to do the same role again, mm-hmm. I'm in a totally different space now than I was then. I wouldn't try to recreate that. Mm-hmm. I would try to pick up what I'm doing now. Now, mm-hmm. if I was having trouble focusing, then I'd try to remember what worked and where, you know, where were the things that helped to root that character mm-hmm. before. But... I always want to try and find out where I'm at now yeah. and see if I can bring that to what I'm doing and, and let that life mm-hmm. become something else on stage. Now, you, you brought up something, approaching a role now as to what you would approach it back when you were younger. Mm-hmm. Age is a thing that affects all actors, and oh, you yeah. can be depressed about age. Oh, oh yeah. my God, I'm not as young right. as I used to be. Does, does that hit you? I don't think it hits me the way it hits other people because I spent so many decades, literally, mm-hmm. with people telling me. People to this day try to tell me I'm not as, as old as I am. Right. And I'm like, and okay, I'm used to it. Y'all mm-hmm. are crazy because, I believe me, I lived every one of these years. Every <laughs> minute of it I lived. Yeah. So I am truly this old. Yeah. But I have that other, other energy, and they can call it youthful, whatever they want to call it. That's somebody putting a label on it. It's not me. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that there's certain opportunities, but if I'm honest with myself, when I was 20-something, like, you know, Sam Shepard just died. Mm-hmm. When I was 20-something, there was no way they were going to cast a black man in Fool for Love anyway. Right. No matter how much I was in love with it. Right. And actually, in college, I got to do it, but I got to play the other character, not the alpha male, but I got to play the other male. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't want to be doing that. That's not what I'm aiming for with my career. Right. And now... Shoot, offer me that role. I was so happy doing Death of a Salesman. I was happy to be the neighbor mm-hmm. because he's still a character. He's still a human being that I have to bring to life to realize in a three-dimensional way mm-hmm. with limited information. The playwright's not giving me as much information as he's giving Willie. Right. But I'm a hungry actor, mm-hmm. and I love doing that work. So I loved doing everything I could to fill it out as the script required mm-hmm. and even – more than that, to expand, to fill in those gaps mm-hmm. so that I could feel the three-dimensional sense of who that character so that I could live that character. Right. So that every moment. So what I loved is a number of people commented on my entrances mm-hmm. because my entrances at Charlie, the cast is sitting around the perimeter of the playing space. So we're on stage the whole show. Mm. So an entrance is never – there were a few people who got to exit and enter. But for most of us, an entrance was – Mm-hmm. Right in front of the audience, what yeah. do I do to transform? Right. And for me, I set up in my mind a whole – I set up the literal map mm-hmm. of where I was, what woke me up. He woke me up because he's outside yelling again. Mm-hmm. He woke me up. I had to decide to go deal with it. I had to get dressed. Mm-hmm. I'm shuffling down the hall. Now it's that part of the scene where he's going off again, mm-hmm. and I walk out and walk into it and I'm like, hey, everything Okay. And mentally, mm-hmm. I would go through that process almost every performance. I did not like not like some, you know, it wasn't some rigid mathematical thing. I was just saying, so who am I? Who is this guy? Where literally? Where am I coming from? Yeah. How long does it take to put on a sweater, a pair of pants? Mm-hmm. Am I walking down the hall, pulling yeah. my pants on, yeah. buttoning them, and zipping them as I'm walking? I got to yeah. get it done before <laughs> the stairs because trying to zip on the stairs is dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> it's wonderful to have a role where it gives you the flexibility to create your character. Where the playwright isn't giving you so much stuff. Right. It's gorgeous. And actors who don't do that, their characters tend to be very two-dimensional. Sure. Actors who do do it, you're like, I totally see your house, man. I know exactly where you came from. And it's like, of course you do. 
because I know exactly where I came from, and mm-hmm. you may not see it exactly the way I see it, mm-hmm. but I come with all that energy because that's what I'm doing. Yeah. I loved doing that work, and I loved so much of what my life is mm-hmm. was just sort of wrapped into, like I said, there are the dots that the playwright gives you, mm-hmm. and you're connecting the dots within the you know, within the context of the play mm-hmm. to make the story move forward. Mm-hmm. Now, beyond those dots, those few dots that are referencing you and your character, now, if you're going to make that a three-dimensional image, what else can you fill in? Mm-hmm. Still stay within the world of the playwright, but the playwright only gave you so many dots. Mm-hmm. What else do you do? Yeah, It's your life. Now, you can research some of that, and you can work on some of that dialect, for example. Right. Yeah. But um, there's some of it that just has to kind of be, who are you? Or I know another one. Um, I've played characters, and the image I put in my head sometimes is because I don't walk heavy, mm-hmm. is I think if I had 40 pounds, mm-hmm. how would I move with 40 more pounds? Mm-hmm. And if I move as the character, l- doing my best to sense what it would be to be 40 pounds heavier, yeah. I move differently. Mm-hmm. And so that's not me making up movement. I right. mean, I guess on some level it is, mm-hmm. but it's me trying to respond to the idea that I'm carrying more weight because I've heard people do this, people who work with body work and stuff, mm-hmm. um, to take literally give you a weight, mm-hmm. like strap a weight belt around mm-hmm. your belly mm-hmm. and say, so this is what it feels like to have 25 pounds. Go sit down. Go walk. Walk up some stairs. Yeah. Feel with that, run yeah. with that weight belt on. Yeah. That's what you're doing to yourself when you have that extra weight on. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, now I'm sounding like I'm some health nut. No, as an actor, oh my God, what a gorgeous the, thing course. to say. Yeah. So if my character is that guy who's got 40 pounds, the feelings that I have about what that feels like yeah. to wear, the, that suddenly filters into and my And now you can develop a totally different character just on the physicality. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. So, But again, this is me going from what I know in the world. Like I'm trying to understand this character better and I need to give him something that is mm-hmm. more than my experience. Right. How can I make it an experience, not just a put-on idea, mm-hmm. but an actual something that I experience? Yeah. And by doing that, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, it means everything that's happening. My, uh, Have you done shows? I've done shows where I've been depressed mm-hmm. or down. Yeah, yeah. And that has totally filtered into my – I've done shows where my character has been an escape from that. Yeah. But I've also done shows where I've let that be a part of who my character is. Yeah. And, oh, my God, yeah, I had a character once where – Oh, my God, he was a bitter man. Hmm. And so all my feelings of inadequacy as an actor, mm-hmm. as a man, as, as a human being, as an American, as a whatever, yeah. all those feelings of an ad- as a middle-aged person, mm-hmm. all those feelings, I was able to just pour into the bile that was that character. And mm. I made a rich stew of his <laughs> bitterness yeah. that I enjoyed every night. Yeah. And it was so funny because then I would walk away from him thinking, that's not me. Right. But I know most of that bile uh-huh. came from me. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> but I got to leave it with the character. I remember doing the very, very first acting show that I did with EastEnders. It was um, four monologues and three hotels. Basically, mm. it was four separate monologues. Mm-hmm. John Robin Bates, I think, mm-hmm. um, did uh, did both wrote four monologues and three. So in any case, I'm playing a gay, a gay, a gay guy named Broadway whose partner died of AIDS, mm. and I'm angry. I'm just pissed off at the system. I'm pissed off at the hospital. They didn't give a damn about my boyfriend. Right. And Or your relationship. Or my relationship and, and all of that stuff. And really, the monologue really just lasts maybe two minutes. Uh-huh. It's just me. It's like a it's like an aircraft. It's like I'm coming off the pavement, right. soaring into the sky, and then boom, I'm right there. And uh-huh. then I just, just 
Uh-huh. So it's just uh, just a build up and a, and a let down. Uh-huh. And I'm like, okay, the arc is pretty easy, and it's only two minutes. It's, right. You know, this, this is easy stuff. So, and so I just you know, and of course every night I said, okay, well let me handle it differently. And peak a little earlier, a little bit mm-hmm. later, but I could play around. Right. And it's not just the anger and whatever. Right. And I don't need to, although I'm not gay, but. I've, I know about, let's say, rejection or, let's sure. say, someone right. not appreciating who I'm with and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. So I can certainly understand what he was going through. Right. So I used all of that. Right. Um, getting back to age, that's one of the things about being an older actor. You can bring your experiences yeah. and not deal with the letdown as, mm-hmm. as well as much as, you know, when, when you're younger. I mean, I remember when I was younger. As a matter of fact, I didn't do a lot of acting when I was younger because I think emotionally – there's so many things going on in my own personal life mm-hmm. that it just didn't allow me to be free right. to handle a script. That's a good way to put it. To study yeah. a script and to, to whatever. I just would have – I didn't I didn't have it together. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. just being honest with myself. I may have had the training, right. but there were some emotional things that I had to really, really just work out. Mm-hmm. And I think um, there's some actors who are honest about that. There's some actors who really aren't at right. all. And, and there's some actors who are really good at – Living that life on stage mm-hmm. and maybe not living that life off stage so well. Right. And, you know, that that's fine. For myself, I just, I do want to, I want to get to be an old, old man. Mm-hmm. I want to be happy, mm-hmm. old, old man. Mm-hmm. I want to feel like I got, that I appreciate everything that I have accomplished, that I've made my peace with the things that I wasn't able to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, because that's the one thing that's true for all of us. Again, it goes back to that. Uh, I hate to sound spiritual about it, mm-hmm. but um, today, we got today. That's what we've got. That's right. And if you let it go mm-hmm. and you waste it, yeah. then it's just gone. If you're so busy focusing on tomorrow or focusing on what happened yesterday, mm-hmm. um, then you're missing out on this little moment. Yeah. And if this moment isn't so great, Letting yourself feel that this moment isn't so great mm-hmm. will help, hopefully, help motivate you to move yeah. towards something else. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we've, we always talk about politics in the Trump administration. And a lot of mm-hmm. people may be, uh, may be turned off by that. I bring it up because every time I go to theater friends, like um, there's a wonderful uh, woman. I, I won't mention her name, but she uh, she's with the Musical Cafe. And mm-hmm. she she and I get along very, very well. And she talks about Trump and mm-hmm. I can tell it sort of absorbs her. It just it's mm-hmm. it's almost like um, a speed bump that right. just keeps you from going full your full distance. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a great disruptor, but you can't allow things to disrupt you so much. I mean, yes, I'm pissed off that he's elected. I'm pissed off right. at what's been going on, but I'm not going to let it affect my life. And I know, hey, it's only four years. Right. I mean. My dad used to say, after you hit 30, the years go just like that. Yeah, they do, they do, they do. <laughs> so the two shows that we mentioned around that, um, yeah. in Aurora, yeah. which is about a family losing a young woman. Right. Um, but it's set in the backdrop of the Aurora, Colorado Rado, shooting. Uh, shooting. Right. Um, and how that affects the court, the whole um, the case. This yeah. whole case is it gets up to court and they finally get um, the killer. On yeah, they the, find him guilty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
that is a great example of the difference between what we see in the media, what we hear, and how we feel about our community and what's in the world, right. and how we deal on a personal level. Because even within that play, mm-hmm. the different family members all had different ways of exactly. dealing and not dealing. That's exactly right. You know, that was gorgeous. And same thing with the Emmett and Ava. Yeah. Um, the young couple Emmett and Ava died in a car crash, so nothing to do mm-hmm. with. Um, any of the things that were going on, but this was during a period where it's we literally could not go a week without another black man somewhere, unarmed black man somewhere yeah. being shot by a cop. Yeah, um, It was just a hard time to be doing the show, and all of us were thinking about it. Audiences were thinking about it. Mm-hmm. But here's this play that is not directly about that, yeah. but it is about a black father trying to deal with the loss of his young black son Yeah, and talking to white people about it. Yeah. And... You know, it's that wonderful place where theater allows that catharsis. We mm-hmm. get to have that community feeling, that sense of what's going on and our expectations and our hopes and our dreams and yeah. our feelings. Yeah. And some kind of release as we come to some greater understanding. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's what we try to offer. Yeah. And if we, the mechanics of it, if we, the people that work within that field, mm-hmm. can't figure out how to keep our heads straight. Right. <laughs> You know, there are all kinds, too many examples of the folks that got caught up in the headiness of being an actor. Yeah. And they flew high and they fell fast. And that's ooh. right. And we, and we hear about them, you know, like the uh, I hear about, you know, the, the the stage or the the film actors. And right. They did great, 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 great. And all of a sudden you don't hear about them anymore. Mm-hmm. They're doing B flicks or whatever. And right. they're constantly calling or they're constantly going on shows or whatever to try mm-hmm. to, you know. Like, uh, they, remember Sean Young? She wanted to be in Batman. Um, oh, right, right. And she dressed in this cat suit mm-hmm. to try to impress the uh, the producers. And right. They didn't cast her anyway. And right. She, and she was very talented, but it was clear. It meant so, so, so much to her that nothing else mattered. Right. It was very sad. Yeah. You know, people get all uh, yeah. been out of shape with that stuff. I was going to piggyback um, when you were mentioning the Aurora, Aurora and mm-hmm. also uh, Emmett and Ava. Mm-hmm. Also, um, when we did um, The Marriage of Benton Boo, mm-hmm. immediately after September 11th, uh-huh. people mm-hmm. needed the catharsis right. yeah. of laughter, right. which is really a dark comedy about a woman who keeps losing her babies. Uh, and it was done in a very, very, you know, comical manner. Like, you mm-hmm. know, like the we had this doctor who would bring, like, I remember as a stage manager, I had to, had to bundle a sack of sugar uh-huh. <laughs> as a baby. Right. And the doctor would come in, dip, dip, dip. Boom! And just drop it, and right. it's like, sorry, dead. And then you know, and then cut next scene. But it was done in such a hilarious wow. manner. Right. You, you'd have to be there. The dark humor. No, no, I, people, can, I, can, it, I yeah. can imagine the timing. If the timing were right on that, that it was, would, it's, it's like a Seinfeld episode. Sure. And of course, in the backdrop of September 11th, and also dealing in a humorous manner, if you could, mm-hmm. with abort—not abortion, but um, miscarriage. Yeah, miscarrying. Mm-hmm. It did it very, very well, and we sold out, and we even had a um, – hmm? I'm sorry, folks. That's our – it's an alarm in our apartment. I guess it's some sort of a – Is it a fire alarm? <laughs> Maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but in any case, we're, we're hitting the hour mark. We've passed the hour yeah, mark. we passed the hour <laughs> mark. We, we should definitely – Yeah, shout-outs, birthdays. Uh, I looked at the birthday list for once. Um, yesterday was Britt Frazier and uh-huh. Michael Cano. Rick Frazier is just blowing up all over Bay Area Theater, has been for a few years now, young, younger than me, black woman. Um, uh-huh. And uh, Michael Cano is this amazing stage manager. So those were 
a couple. Um, I think today is Michael Orlando Trujillo's birthday. Okay. Um, and Bernard Vosch, um, you know, people also who I've known for a long time. Yeah. And then I had a whole list of just people coming up in the next week. Uh, Kevin Ralston, Eureka. It's funny, on uh, Facebook she's Walker, but I always know her as Eureka Doy. She ran um, the No Space in San Francisco. Oh, okay. Uh, Zara Berkman, mm-hmm. Lenny Abadia. Gabriel Kinney, and Ben Yalom. Ben Yalom, uh, Fool's Fury. Wow. Um, a lot so of birthdays, a lot of August birthdays. Birthdays coming up, yeah. Yeah. And I have a, a, there's a good friend of mine, a, Avi Jacobson. He'll be 63 years old next Ooh. week. Mm-hmm. He and I shared the stage at 110 in the Shade. Uh, mm-hmm. he, and he and I, you know, we just had wonderful, wonderful chemistry together. And he's a fantastic actor, fantastic uh, Jewish actor. Um, anything else going on? Any um um, the other thing I wanted to mention was something I want to make sure that um, we, we hit. It only comes up once a month. It's called Counting Actors. Um, and it's run by Valerie Weeks, uh, the Counting Actors Project. She manages online. And they do a count of the shows. So in July they had 11 shows um, that they counted how many playwrights, mm-hmm. uh, how many directors, how many Actors, union, non-union, total actors, and they break them all down by gender. Oh. So they're, and so the shows they were talking about in July were Ghost Limb, Much Ado About Nothing, Glass Menagerie, Life on the Water, Tender Napalm, Midsummer of Love, Four Immigrants, mm. Winter, McBitch, The Other Place, and La Cage Faux. Mm-hmm. And so this is a self-reporting thing, so it's funny. I was trying to think, how do you describe it? It's not a survey because there isn't, like, an entity that's doing that. Yeah. Um, but they're asking people to put that information out there, partly because to try and have that discussion about diversity and parity, yeah. first got to know what the numbers are. If right. you don't know what the numbers are, then yeah. you don't know what you're talking about. So the list that you – those are the list of the companies that have the most diverse actors? Or no, no, just what's going on right now uh-huh. and what – Folks are involved with it. Um, they also make notes on, like, Theater Work Show has a female director. Um, ooh, is that the only female director? It's listed. <laughs> um, yeah, it just it breaks it down and okay. says, you know, so who's working? Uh, with directors, for example, it was 13 directors, six women, seven men. Okay. So you're getting kind of parody there. Awesome. Uh, but when you get into actors, it's, uh, ooh, non-union actors, 59, 36 women, 23 men. Mm-hmm. But union actors, 29, okay. 10 women, 19 men. Huh. So suddenly we're, we're, we're not near parity <laughs> in some places. Um, but, you yeah. know, um, it's been a wonderful project she's been doing. Uh, it says now that they've had – it says at the top, which I really love. Um, they bringing the total show count by the project to 925 shows. Hmm. So anytime anybody is in a show yeah. and they want to make sure that it's there, you can – Let's see. Um, how would you do this? Counting Actors Project um, is on WordPress.com, hmm. um, and you can also get information on it. Works by Women San Francisco. Um, so awesome! Um, it's a it's yeah. I thought it was a pretty cool thing. I wanted to make sure that uh, we start adding that into the talk that we have because really what we're talking about is people. Yep. How do people work and live in mm-hmm. this theater community? Right. And, you know, with an idea towards holding up a mirror and saying, let's get a good reflection of this. Mm-hmm. This is, I think, an area that's worth taking a look at. Absolutely. 
And I wanted to bring up, they are, there are auditions for the Musical Cafe, which will be at the ACT studio. And that will be at 30 Grand Avenue on the 7th floor. That's this coming Monday on the 14th. So if you're a singer, uh, they're especially looking for men. Apparently there's a shortage of men. Uh, I thought there would be plenty of male singers, but... They uh, need male male singers, but really male female singers, uh, no matter Especially what age. Especially young um, African American female. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm not going to <laughs> tout my own, but everyone. Oh, uh, yours is part of the mix. That's so right. Mine, as well. my, yeah, absolutely. Mine is part of the mix. Uh, my show, Nia, as well as three other shows, they'll be part of the musical cafe in October. But the auditions will be uh, this Monday, August the 14th, at the ACT Studio at 30 Grand Avenue on the seventh floor. Beginning at six o'clock. Are they taking walk-ups? Uh, I believe so. Okay. Yeah. So uh, have your have your you know of course bring headshot resume sheet music. Um, you know your standard bars of uh, music. I think sixteen no bars. MP3s? No, 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 don't no MP3s. There's going to be a pianist. So you know, give them sheet music and um, sing to your heart's content. And uh, you'll see me there. You know, if, if any of you out there uh, hear my voice but you've never seen me, you get to see me at the ACT studio. And, um, yeah, so that's what's going on. And I mentioned Avi Jacobson. And uh, I think next week we'll be having uh, Alan Coyne, fantastic actor. He'll mm-hmm. be, uh, we'll be uh, in- interviewing him and seeing what's going on with him. Cool. Yep. So I think that's it. Oh, I uh, mentioned it on Facebook. But if you can guess our intro and outro song, I will give you $100. All you have to do is to have a uh, PayPal account hooked up to your email, which I think is relatively easy. It's pretty easy to do. Yeah. Um, then I'll, I'll go ahead and do it. I'm announcing this because I don't think anyone can guess it. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't. <laughs> so, uh, and, and I, don't my think wife you, couldn't. I don't think you could do the sound. There's a sound. There's a certain. There's a, there's a, there's a app called SoundHound. Where you can click onto it and mm-hmm. you can it'll listen to anything and mm-hmm. try to pick it up. I used it on my app and it could not pick it up, so I was like, okay, no one can cheat. Ah, so great. So we'll see, and also it'll be a way to you sort of see how many people are listening to the game, yeah. little contest. Okay, I think that's it. <laughs> Man, we got to get a better sign off. We got to get a better sign off, and we are out. Yeah.